everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, before we jump into this week's episode, we want to talk a little bit about the Wide Angle Podium donation drive that's going on through the end of the month. It's really exciting right now. You have a chance to be part of the Wide Angle Podium Network, um, and just for even $5 a month or a one-time donation of $5, you can get a couple little bonus freebies and help out the network produce awesome podcasts like ours, Crosshairs Radio, the Slow Ride Podcast, and a couple others you might have not even tried yet. Yeah, exactly. And you also get a bunch of bonus content. We have our bonus episode coming out later this week, and you definitely don't want to miss it, especially if you love cyclocross. Um, If you do love cyclocross, there's a couple different ways you can learn more about it. The Crosshairs Radio podcast on the Wide Angle Podium Network is a great way to do that. They've been getting amped up and ready over the last couple episodes. They've had uh, Cross Vegas organizer Drew Watts. Brooke Watts. Brooke You're going to get his name right one it's day. It's okay, Brooke. Your name can be Drew. Um, but yeah, so I mean, they have lots and lots of content there. They're getting amped up and ready for cyclocross. We have those two cyclocross World Cups this year, so... Crosshairs Radio is definitely a podcast that you could listen to and also one that you could support. Um, If you head over to WideAnglePodium.com, you can check out the different podcasts there. There's the Slow Ride podcast and the Adam Meyerson podcast. Again, lots of good information about cyclocross and cycling generally. Um, And yeah, you can definitely click on that donate button and check out the different levels uh, and ways you can donate. Um, yeah, we know we're, we're pretty new to the Wide Angle Podium Network, but we're still super, super stoked to be part of them, and we would like to keep being part of them. So, you know, donations definitely keep it running. Obviously, none of us are, are getting rich with podcasting, but we are having a total blast doing it. And yeah, we would really appreciate any and all support of the network, because they are doing just super cool stuff, and they've been awesome. So definitely check that out. It's over at wideanglepodium.com slash donate. And there's all different levels you can donate. You can do $5 a month, $10 a month, $50 a month if you really love us, which would be fantastic. Um, And a bunch in between. There's uh, if you donate during this month, you get entered to win a bunch of different prizes, uh, some of which include our books, which is pretty cool. And a bunch of other fun stuff. I know I'm saying a bunch of other fun stuff frequently, but that's because there's so much. If you donated $50, I'm reading here that you would have an on-air shout-out. So there's potential that Adam Meyerson could be screaming your name. Or you could scream. No, we'll let Adam do the screaming. I mean, you could like loudly shout, maybe. How's that? I will mumble the name, as I do with most words. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, we don't want to belabor this. <clears throat> if you're listening, thank you. Um, and yeah, definitely go over and listen to the podcast, if nothing else, because that gives us a good bunch of support as well. So. Mm-hmm. All right, again, last time, wideanglepodium.com. All right, now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks for listening. All right, now on to normally scheduled programming. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. You may have noticed this episode is going up on a Wednesday instead of a Tuesday, uh, but that's because we were too busy getting married this weekend to get this up and out, and we were enjoying the last couple days of uh, newlywed bliss, I guess, out in upstate New York, where we got to spend a lot of time with our good friends uh, hiking and riding and swimming and generally having a a blast lifting bags of ice and so forth oh that's true there was a lot of movement (laughs) tents and he says like he set up the tents he didn't beer i and tables so much beer there was so much beer to be carried we didn't really drink any of it yeah we carried a lot of it yeah we had a lot of beer and then a lot left over but yeah it was a really good weekend good weather good outside location and woo we're married now so that was pretty cool um, also pretty cool, though, this week's podcast. 
This week we interview Tracy Drews, who is a coach down in Asheville, um, very popular cycling area. Um, it was the site of the Cyclocross Nationals last year. Yeah, we spent a bit of time down there in January. The road riding, the mountain biking, the hiking, the running, all of it was just amazing. Mm-hmm, really good. So Tracy uh, is a great coach and she has a lot of athletes sort of over that age of 40, those master's athletes. Um, so we talked to her a bit about strategies that older athletes can use and different workouts and strategies she does and sort of patterns she sees with successful older athletes. Um, we talk about weight loss. She's had a tremendous weight loss experience um, in, in her adult life after university. Um, and we talk about how, what she experienced and also how she's helped her other clients sort of gain, you know, optimize body composition. Um, we also talk about the time-crunched athletes, so athletes who are working and have families, which is pretty much everyone, except for elites maybe, and even some of them could benefit from some of the techniques. Um, yeah, just tons and tons of awesome stuff. I think we end with a really cool uh, area that a lot of clients and people who listen to the podcast are interested in as far as nerves, whether that's race nerves, but more specific to testing nerves or uh, workouts with wattage nerves, so how we can overcome some of those those nerves and those I always talk about should statements. We always say we should push more watts or we should do this, you know, number of reps. And so we talk a lot about those sort of concepts today. And I think there's a lot of value in this talk with Tracy Drews. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, enjoy the show. And of course, I'm just going to say it again. Wideanglepodium.com slash donate. All right, guys, here is Tracy. So Tracy, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself from a, an athletic experience? Where have you come from, you know, starting just, you know, even in childhood, elementary school type thing? Like, what, where'd you get started with sport? Right. I would have to say that I got started with um, sports. Actually, to be quite honest with you, I was a chubby little kid um, pretty much all through elementary, middle school, and high school. However... Um, I did uh, enjoy team sports, started with softball, and that was probably because my father used to play semi-professional baseball. And unfortunately, during the Korean War, he um, threw a hand grenade um, like a baseball and uh, actually tore a lot of rotator cuff muscles, so was unable to pursue his career. Uh, So that is... That influence there, um, I can remember many a time dad in the backyard with me and, uh, you know, throwing uh, the ball and then also uh, batting. And and, uh, so from there, um, along with bike riding, I I can remember getting home from school, you know, at a young age and being so excited, get the homework done. And then I couldn't wait to get out on my bicycle and just, uh, you know, roll around the neighborhood. So that all started relatively young, and then through uh, in high school, was actually able to uh, be on the women's uh, high school softball team, and lettered all four years in that, and uh, a couple of years of basketball, I think uh, track. Really didn't run. Running is not necessarily my forte unless it's around the bases. Um, so when I was participating in track, it was actually to throw the uh, discus in the shot put for a year. Okay. Yeah. Did you find, like as a baseball player, did you find that that, like you, is that why you think you gravitated to it was because of the baseball? Probably so. Um, I really enjoyed the softball in, in high school and then uh, played a lot of summer leagues growing up. And then uh, actually also got into tennis early on as well. And, and that was in the background as kind of a more social intramural type of activity. So I, I guess I would say just a variety of sports growing up. However, when I got into college, um, college life, you know, stress um, of just being away from home and, and studies and that type of thing, my 
my uh, living habits, lifestyle, nutrition, all of that kind of culminated with um, quite a bit of weight gain. And as I mentioned to you in my little summary I sent to you that I graduated from Virginia Tech in um, Blacksburg, Virginia, in the mountains, as uh, in a size 22 business suit. So I weighed about 185 pounds. In relation to now, I hover about 130, 135. Oh, okay. That's good transformation, though. Um, it is, indeed. Yeah. And I think good experience looking back as a coach to have come from that, right? Like, I, I always, I've, you know, been active my whole life. And, you know, so it, it's tough, you know, to relate and, and make clients feel like you're relating to them, you know, when you've not gone through a, a transformation like that. Do you find that that's helpful in your coaching life to have gone through that? Definitely, Peter. Definitely. In fact, um, I probably gravitate a little more so to the individual that is um, either coming off the couch has been rather sedentary for whatever reason in their life, um, carrying a little bit of extra weight. Of course, I can empathize with them and I totally understand where they're coming from. And if they have started to embrace activity, exercise, sport, and of course, the whole nutrition component, then I feel like I'm your gal, you know, as far as the coach goes and, and being able to t hopefully get the weight off and then transition to the to the next level and progression on, in the activity that they might be pursuing. Mm -hmm. And it's such a, I mean, that's such a topic in endurance sport, especially, I mean, for everyone, I think, you know, power to weight is, is a discussion, but, you know, when we're dealing with, you know, I would say, quote unquote, regular people um, mm -hmm. who, who aren't elites, you know, they do have families, mortgages, kids, whatever, um, you know, there's generally, you know, five, 10, 15, maybe more pounds, you know, to deal, to, to, to take care of if we want to, you know, do better in our endurance sport. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of times that's something that we could take care of without training more. Um, so that's usually I come at it from the angle that, you know, this is something where if we put some focus while we're around the house and making dinners anyhow, you know, for the family, you know, we might be able to make change and improve our performance without training more, right? Because we don't have more training time. Um, do you think that's a fair way to go after that? Or do you have anything else you add in, you know, to help people get excited about that, that side of performance? Right. I would feel that and definitely in this day and age, and, and that's what I do work with um, my clientele or anywhere from I have a roster of about 25 to 30 athletes that I work with. And I was going to say that most of my folks are time crunched. But then when I went back through and looked at my roster, I probably have about eight or 10 individuals that are retired. Um, and what's interesting is that even the retired people are still time crunched. Um, because they have started to explore, do some of those activities that they, you know, put on the back burner for whatever reason. So in, in a circuitous fashion, I'm answering your question that it may not be the main goal. Someone may come to me and say, I'd really like to enhance my performance and will look at their body composition and if there is a, a need to focus in on the weight loss, then perhaps that comes about as we start to develop and embellish on their performance and training plan. So it could either be the weight loss could be a goal or it could be um, a subsidiary goal, if you will, uh, while we're working on the the training does that did i answer your question did i think so sense? i mean it, it was sort yeah. of a it was sort of an all over the place question as i right. like to do yeah. anyhow um, also, i i hope i brought it back together no i think i think that's awesome and indeed uh, i think it's almost better to have that because it's so emotionally charged like that should be you know what you're talking about is much more the you know the food and the the weight is is secondary right like we're not you know the whatever it says on the scale or whatever is not that's not fun that's not you know, going on adventures, but it's something that could make your adventures better or it could make you feel better. Right. And so it's oh, definitely correct. It's a secondary yes. goal. There has to be something else that you're going after. You want to go climb Mount Everest or you want to, you know, finish this race or whatever. Right. And, right. and that's, just, that's just part of it. Right. Right. And you um, definitely don't want to be carrying any extra baggage. No, no. <laughs> um, if you can help. So is there, 
and Molly might have some thoughts on this too. She just wrote a, or had her book, I guess it's not just even now, but around Christmas last year, her book, um, Fuel Your Ride came out. So it was uh, a cycling oriented, uh, nutrition book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I don't know, Molly, do you have anything that you wanted to, I know we get that when we're doing talks, we get a lot of questions about losing weight or how do I, you know, lose those five pounds. Um, yeah. so I don't know. Go ahead, Molly. Uh, I was going to say, geez, when we talk about it, it's, it's always just about coming back to those, you know, same basic rules of nutrition, right? Like you can train all you want, but if you're not eating those whole foods, all of the, you know, filling up on the veggies and eating enough lean protein, you're, you're never going to lose that stubborn five pounds. I would wholeheartedly agree. And I would have to say that my, my personal mantra and what I, I try to instill in my athletes is um, variety, balance, and moderation. I really think those are the three key components. can probably apply to just about anything in life. Absolutely. However, I feel that uh, nutrition, um, it, you know, that fits right within that mold. Um, I always remind folks that you know, if you want to perform like a race car, you've got to put the right kind of fuel, the right kind of gas in the tank in order to, to you know, make those performance gains. Um, so, yes, I totally agree with you, Molly. Yeah, it's so funny. Everyone, you know, comes to the talk sort of hoping for like the, the magic bullet kind of thing. And it's like, sorry, guys, like you already know what healthy foods are. You just need to eat them and not the junk. I totally agree. Totally agree. I it's um and it's amazing, especially I know for myself personally, and I'll since we're kind of talking a little bit personally, um, I I find that I I know if I do stray a little bit from those foods that I know help me to feel better and help me to perform better, if I stray away. I just know I don't feel well. And then my training suffers. And then it's just like this, you know, big drain, this circular, oh my gosh, I'm starting to spiral downward. And I just have to remind myself, okay, reset. You know, you had that extra little dessert that really wasn't the best dessert for you. Got to get back on board and refocus. You know, I'd like to think I'm perfect, but darn it, I'm not. (laughs) Absolutely. So, so speaking to that, is there anything, you know, when you have a client and they've committed, you know, they want to lose some weight, is there anything as far as tactics that, you know, you, you would start someone off with? And I, I know it's, it's very general, so we'll put the caveat that, you know, these are general recommendations and so forth, you know, right. everyone, everyone's right. an individual, but do you, sure. is there anything like that you see working generally or, you know, common stumbling blocks for people to, to get, to lose some weight? Peter, I would say first and foremost is to do a food diary, to essentially write down, sit down, take a look at three days or four days or perhaps maybe a week, make sure you're including some of those weekend days and see if you can. It's so enlightening when people do just that and they go, oh, my gosh. I didn't realize I had those, you know, half a bag of potato chips. What was going on? And then for some folks, and I know for myself personally, there was a lot of emotional eating involved um, coming up and through high school and college and that type of thing. And and occasionally it still happens. I've, you know, you can feel yourself getting to a point where it's like, man, I know that that extra donut would feel so good to eat right now because I'm <laughs> just, you know not feeling in a good spot but actually i feel like and what i do with most of my athletes is uh, di- uh food diary yes yeah yep yeah that's, that's one of the very enlightening yeah that's one of the biggest things that i tell people too it's and i'm always amazed when i do it even when i think that i'm eating super healthy you're totally right, right. you're like oh <laughs> wait a second how did that get in there <laughs> exactly, exactly. And there's so many wonderful uh, programs online and applications online now where, you know, it'll do most of the calorie counting, the macronutrients, and maybe even some of the micronutrients for mm-hmm. you, that it makes it very easy to direct an athlete to that particular application. They share their login information with me and we can look at it together. And it's real easy to help 
you know, ground guide them uh, back and get back on track. And I think that's the important piece too, is, you know, doing the diary, you know, for yourself is worthwhile, I think, but then having someone else go through and, you know, not be critical of it, but, you know, pick out those one or two things. Like, you know, it, it seems like you're not, you know, you're, you're having one vegetable a day. So maybe right. we could bump up that number of vegetables, right? And just sort of that one or two small tweaks to get going, right? Most definitely. That's where I find that um, I end up helping my athletes more so is just looking at substitutions, uh, you know, rather than the ice cream, how about uh, a low-fat, no-fat yogurt, or maybe even cottage cheese, because now there are so many hidden sugars and things, fresh fruit, uh, you know, anything like that, that just some substitutions that would, and, and they're probably things, here's the other thing, they're probably things that athletes are aware of. They probably did at one point, but they just forgot out of convenience or for whatever reason. For sure. Do you find, you know, it's interesting that a lot of clients are open to doing that, but I have sort of open invitation to clients and I'll remind them of this, that, you know, we can do it, but it's interesting. Some clients are like, Oh yeah, that'd be great. And then you don't see the, the food log never comes. Do you, do you have that ever happen? Actually, I, I have had to stay on top of a few athletes about that. However, our program uh, for for some of the athletes in the package uh, that they actually purchase does include the three-day diary, an analysis, um, a written analysis, and then a 45-minute consultation with a sports nutrition that we contract with. So... They are absolutely silly not to take advantage of that service. And then the beauty of it is I get the printed version, the analysis, and then I also make sure that I follow up with a phone call for any insight that the athlete may have gotten from the sports uh, dietitian, actually. And then we work on the execution process. So I'm making sure that my athlete stays accountable for those suggestions that were made above and beyond what I may have had to offer. Okay. All right. I like Very that. cool. Um, let's uh, step back a bit more just about you. I always like to hear sort of the education path. And I think a lot of our listeners, you know, they're, you know, some are going through university now or some want to get into coaching more and stuff. And Sure. Um, so, you know, you were at Virginia, Virginia Tech for your master's. Is that true or was that your undergrad? Undergraduate. And it was actually in education. And I actually started out working in therapeutic recreation. So adults with mental retardation. And believe it or not, I ended up working, uh, volunteering quite a bit during that stint with uh, Special Olympics. So still managed to keep my foot in the, uh, you know, the athletic arena, just working with uh, adults with mental retardation um, in in that Special Olympics forum. Um, What ended up happening after uh, undergraduate, when I lost most of the weight, what I found was that I had so many people that had known me from my past that were coming up and asking me how I'd lost all the weight. And um, always being active and interested in a little bit about the human body and how it performed and you know the physiology and that type of thing, I thought, you know what? People keep asking me this and I'd really like to understand the science behind it. So after about, oh, that was probably eight or eight or so years, I guess, of being in the working world and enjoying, you know, the different aspects of, of work, I decided I'd really like to go back to graduate school. So I went back and I went to Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia, and I actually worked under, studied under uh, Mel Williams, um, who uh, was very instrumental uh, at the time and wrote several books on uh, sports nutrition. And so I was very fortunate to study under him and also Rick Kreider, um, who was my uh, advisor for my uh, thesis, which uh, I completed in 1992. Okay. Um, 
That's that's very good. And so how did you find yourself then to formal coaching? Like, did you then go through the standard path of, um, you know, your with USA cycling sort of certifications or, or how did you navigate that sort of network of spider right. web, network of spider webs? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Actually started out with um, a certification, personal trainer certification, went that route. So actually, that's what led me to the different uh, fitness centers and uh, the the big chains as well as the small women's chains. Um, so personal training, I, I got uh, my American Council on Exercise uh, certification. And then actually, USA Cycling uh, certification did not come along until um, uh, working for Carmichael in 2006-7, I think it was. Okay. Okay. Um, and then have you done anything in recent years? You know, that's, again, sort of my interest is what, you know, what have people done recently and, you know, courses they've been to? Have you done anything in the last little bit that you're excited about as far as certifications and courses? Right. I've been uh, essentially keeping up with uh, the continuing education requirements uh, for USA Cycling. And uh, I would have to say at the moment, I have my focus has been more so on the athletes and their various competitions, uh, trying to meet with athletes that are geographically located. So to say that I have anything other than some of the... Oh, like the not not nutritional supplements, but performance enhancing issues like the the beet juice or um, the whole issue on muscle cramping. And now that there's some thoughts that um, uh, pickle juice or mustard packs or something like that could help to actually, uh, you know, uh, thwart, I guess, if you will, the, the cramping. So I stay abreast, try to stay abreast of, of those issues and, um, being as relevant as I can on a day-to-day basis on, as you all know, the, the plethora of issues that are out there to help either enhance performance and, uh, just overall health and well-being. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot and it seems to always just come back. You're probably better just to eat your vegetables and make sure you sleep at night. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. However, the issue is you have people that are curious and 100%. want to try these things. And so I, we we do need to stay up on the on the latest uh, you know research the original research and I always tell folks that you know you can have statistics say just about anything you want them to say but the bottom line is you know it, is is it worth the risk of some of these things um, you know for your for your overall health and and what's the implication down the road mm-hmm. um, so yeah stay educated. Absolutely. Yeah, and so so much of it, just I mean, beet juice or bicarbonate and that stuff, like just so many people end up with nausea or like bad, right. you know, it goes, it right. spoils or it's not the actual therapeutic dose anyhow because, you know, they can't stomach it or they didn't buy the, you know, the concentrated thing or whatever. And it's just like, oh, why are you stressing out about that? Like just sit exactly. on the, exactly sit up, you know, stay in bed for an extra half hour and just don't worry about drinking beet juice. Very much so, Peter. I totally agree with you. I I believe um, in rest, recovery, and good good sleep. Enough of it, um, and I think uh, those things will will serve you quite well. Serve the athlete, the client, quite well. I yes, agree. but like you say, knowing the stuff and when to apply it, and helping people try it, right? Hopefully, in training and not on race day. And everything. right, don't you love it when people, especially even drink mixes and and uh, you know commercial food products or whatever, and people will say, "Oh man, I had a great day, except for when I got diarrhea," you know, in the middle, <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, what the heck happened?" And they'll be like, "Well, I tried this new sports drink." I'm like. You can't just try something brand new in the middle of an event. (laughs) If you're going to do anything, you experiment in training so that, you know, you can figure out if it's really going to benefit you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So a big part of what I wanted to talk to you today was about sort of those older athletes that you're coaching. You mentioned you had a bunch that are retired and, and whatnot. So, so let's dive into that a little bit. Um, so in terms of those clients, what are they, what are they doing? If you looked at, you know, more specific to those 40 plus athletes, what, what type of sports are they pursuing? Right. And I would have to say I've got the gamut. I have uh, one lady who is now 72 uh, that when she and I got together about, oh gosh, now it's been, believe it or not, almost eight years ago. And she came to me. She was active pretty much all throughout her life. But she had decided she would like to do the cross-country, one of the cross-country bicycle tours. So you uh, ride from California and you end up in Boston, Massachusetts. And she was at that time, I want to say, 60, 64, 5, 66. And that event is the, the tour that she chose was uh, set up for 50 days um, and you were covering 3,400, a little over 3,400 miles in 50 days, which averaged out to about 68 miles a day. There were a couple of rest days thrown in there. You might have some days that you'd ride a century and then get up the next morning and have to ride another, you know, 68, 75 miles. And um, so we sat down and you know, talked about all of the all of the different uh, components that would make up that trip for her, and you know, would she have a SAG vehicle? Um, a lot of times, she was just going to be out there by herself, so she'd be riding alone. And um, obviously, the nutrition to help to support that, and what she'd be doing when she wasn't on the bike, which would be essentially trying to find some place to eat. Um, they would have uh, hotels set up for them, um, but it was usually in remote locations. So all of the, the things that would go into this 65-year-old woman deciding that she wanted to make this trip. Now, she rode her bike. She had been riding her bike, but not necessarily. She hadn't done that many centuries, and she really hadn't done that much consecutive uh, days of riding. So essentially, we worked on all of those different components to get that together for her. And we, we set some goals because we knew it was a lofty adventure. And we knew that one of the things she would love to be able to do all 3,415 miles. However, realistically, if there came a time she wasn't, you know, for whatever reason, needed to step into the support van, then we had sub goals. Okay, you know, if we if you don't get to ride every single mile, then we at least want to make sure that you get up and start the ride every single day. So, you know, we set those goals and objectives along the way. And um, I made sure that I was available either by phone or text or whatever throughout the time. There would be days, there'd be great days when she'd have a really good day. And then there'd be other days when it, uh, you know, it was very much a mental issue having to, to talk her through, okay, you're going to be fine. Let's get through the next day. What went well, what didn't go so well, and how can we improve upon it? So that was, that was very exciting. I've enjoyed that. She has since gone back and done that again. And now enjoys it so much that she goes as and works as one of the support people, but then rides when she can. So she's now done that trip four or five times. Wow. Um, and, ah. and so that that's exciting. I really that's I like it. And she's now 72 years old. Um, so that's good. And then the other end of the spectrum, I have a lot of gentlemen athletes who really enjoy the uh, time trials, everything from the local, you know, 5, 10, 20, or 40K to, um, and that may be on a, uh, a local community level, and then a state, and then perhaps maybe the national level, whether it's the USA cycling sanctioned events, and or whether it's the national um, senior games that we have here, which is a, a large organization that started back in 1985 and has since blossomed to um, a every two year event where athletes, mature athletes, 50 and over, uh, come together at a particular location uh, every two years, like I said. And there are like 18 sports that are contested with over between 10 and upwards of 12,000 athletes that descend upon a town in every sport from 
pickleball to cycling to soccer to you know basketball three on three basketball whatever it may be so i have that group of individuals those gentlemen that are anywhere from i think my oldest is uh 75 and my youngest is 67 and they're all located in in different areas of the united states so anything from the very short sprinty style of uh time trial all the way to the you know 40k um event if you will so do you see i mean even 40k is a pretty long event Mm -hmm. um, you Mm -hmm. know relative to 100 meter sprints or whatever um correct yeah so do you see that as a tendency in the you know in that master's age that you're you're seeing people going longer and longer versus you know looking at ten kilometer TTs? Right, Peter. I would have to say that because um, you had mentioned that I think in in your uh, response back to me and uh, when we were emailing, and I would have to say that you are personally what I see is perhaps more of these individuals doing uh, the local 20Ks would probably be the longest. Um, I feel like sometimes the commitment and the discipline plus just the competition itself um, is not always available uh, for the 40K events. Um, So what I do see are the 10s and the 20s. Uh, that people seem to contest and to train and are willing to train for and see success with. Okay. Um, now with those, you know, maybe let's look at those masters, you know, you said mostly men, but uh, your TT athletes, your master's TT athletes, mm-hmm. um, do you see anything in their plans that, you know, are different, you know, on a week to week basis versus, you know, someone who's in their twenties or thirties, who's, who's training for TT as well? I would say, really, the the biggest differences that I would see would be just rest and recovery, whereas perhaps your younger athlete might be able to get away with a little bit more. Um, I feel like the uh, more mature athlete needs to make sure that they are taking a little bit of extra time. It, it could be an active recovery. It could just be a you know 30 or 45-minute uh, easy, easy spin on the bicycle uh, that particular day. It could be, like I say, an active recovery. Um, or it could be a total day off. Uh, or it could be doing a, uh, a very other low-key kind of activity, like, you know, an easy walk or um, a noodle in the sw- in the pool or something like that. Right. And you mentioned for yourself, but then also um, with a lot of these athletes, you're, you're almost balancing some of this multi-sporter as we're coining it, the consummate athlete lifestyle. Um, do you see that a lot with clients like that, where you're, you know, maybe balancing interests in bridge and maybe like, you know, some golf or something on top of, you know, wanting to race TTs? Right. I do. And, and, you know, honestly, uh, for myself personally, and that philosophy probably has a tendency to show up a little bit in my coaching. Um, I am of the mindset that if, if there is something that you really enjoy doing, then I don't necessarily, we sit down and talk about, okay, obviously, what's the main goal? Well, I, I want to be on the podium for my TT. Okay, great. Then we need to look at how much time are we going to have to dedicate to your training to get on the podium for that TT? And then where are your other lifestyle activities going to fall? Are you willing to maybe set them aside a little bit and not do anything at all? Or are, you know, if you're not willing to do that, then how much of that is going to take away from your training time? Because the ultimate thing is we have to go back to specificity of training. You want to get faster on the bike? You're going to have to ride the bike. However, we want to make sure that for the more mature athletes, some of the other things that go away. Peter? um, I'm sorry. So some of the other activities or excuse me some of the other physiological physiological attributes as we age that we've had when we are younger may need a little more attention things like flexibility coordination um, balance 
And there may be a time within the training where we actually have to go back in and address some of those issues. And if we do, then perhaps maybe the tennis plays a little bit of a role as an, um, an augment to training, if you will. Because as you all know, in cycling, we pretty much ride in one plane of motion. Mm-hmm. So things like a little more lateral movement to help with some of those smaller secondary muscles that help with balance um, and can apply back to the bicycle could be beneficial to the training plan. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. Definitely what I see, you know, I, I do a strength class here in town and a lot of the people are cyclists just because, you know, I think I attract that type of person, cyclists or endurance athletes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely that's what you see is if it's not in a straight line and if it involves jumping or if it involves, like you say, balance or something like that or using your arms over your head or just using your arms, you know, there's right. a lot of a lot of work to be done there for sure. Right. And I guess my other little philosophical saying is use it or lose it um you know if if you want to still have that range of motion in your shoulders and want to be able to reach for items over your head and your cabinet or you know want to be able to to reach out to to grab something then you know you you've got to work those particular parts of your body um and all of that can have a have a say in your performance back to the bike mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself using um, intensity? You know, I, I know the Carmichael did write the Time Crunch Cyclist. I believe I'm right on that, right? Yes, correct. Um, so, do you find yourself using that strategy of you know more weightlifting and more you know intensity, um, you know, it, as part of the routine for those athletes, especially as the age? I, I would like to say, um, yes, I do. I, I keep it individualized. I look at the, the athletes that I'm dealing with and obviously where they are within their training calendar and their schedule and when their competi- competition you know occurs, that type of thing. Um, however, personally having the personal training background and understanding the benefits of resistance training and or circuit training in an overall health and well-being and hopefully enhancing, uh, you know, cycling performance, then yes, I, I do like to use the high intensity training just from the standpoint of also a time crunched cyclist. So for instance, you were asking me about, um, you know, what would a normal training week for an, uh, an individual uh, that might be racing? And, and if we were to look at say like about a month or two out I would still have a little bit of circuit workout in for that individual, maybe two days a week. And, and I know there's a, the science suggests that it needs to be more like three days a week to see beneficial effects from a, a weight training program. However, all we're doing is helping to maintain a certain level of flexibility and strength. I may not have them lifting heavy weights, but I'm still having them do a little bit of upper body and perhaps core workout, probably not much more than 30 minutes, two days a week. Again, I also think too, while that's helping maintain the body, I also think mentally, I think you need to have a a little bit of variety in there that goes back to my variety, balance and moderation mantra. And I just think that helps to, you know, just provide a little bit of balance to the whole training plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny how much that, that makes a difference, whether that's from an off day or just doing something a little different. I know I've always raced mountain bikes, and of course we use the road bikes too, but I always found it, like I was like, we have such an advantage over road cyclists, you know, most road cyclists, where... Like we'd be down training, we'd stay with them in the same spot, right? But like one day we go mountain bike and the next day we go road ride. And then, you know, you, whatever, you take a day off or, you know, do another similar or whatever. But they wrote the roadies were always the exact same every day, same bike, you know, riding the same way out of town. Right. I was like, it it would crush you. I was just like, how do they, like, they are way more mentally strong than I am. Right. Well, but I, and Peter, that's the other thing. I enjoy the mountain bike for, again, for that very reason. I have found on 
bringing the mountain bike into a training plan is fantastic. Again, for those things like balance, coordination, um, and how much that really does transfer back to the road bike. I mean, I'm sure you've and Molly have both experienced it where you might be in a group ride or a race or something and, you know, you get nudged into the gutter or the grass or something like that. And a lot of roadies would would freak out and go, holy mackerel, I'm in the grass. I'm not going to be able to get myself out. Whereas a mountain biker would say, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, it's a little bit of grass. Oh, there's a, you know, a little drainage ditch or something. Oh, let me just hop back in. So that whole level of that skill set and that confidence that you gain from doing some slightly different activities, but still ultimately serving your competitive sport, I think is great. Yeah, and that's definitely, that's like sort of my, my favorite t- topic is skills and how they apply to everyone and stuff. But definitely with the, I'm very fortunate to work with a fairly high-end road uh, athlete and he's definitely found the more we throw a bit of mountain biking in, the more we throw a little bit, of, even just gravel grinding and cyclocrossing. Right, right. You know, and all yeah. of a sudden, you know, he's at that level where we can have him as fit as he wants, but like there needs to be a lot of breaks going his way, right? He needs to avoid a crash or, you know, move definitely. up through the pack. And, you know, this year he's just like, he's noticed his mountain bike gotten a lot better and every time he's back on it he feels better but I think a lot of it is that you know that attention to those bike skills for lack of a better term but also just the variety right it's yes coming. yes and there's a little yeah. bit of fun involved you just know? a little yeah like yeah, what's wrong with that right? <laughs> you're allowed you're allowed to have fun definitely um yeah I really like that that's awesome Hey everybody, just wanted to jump back in and make sure you've checked out wideanglepodium.com slash donate to help with the donor drive this August. Thanks and enjoy the rest of the podcast. So we got strategies here we've worked on. Um, we're looking at different stuff that way. Um, anything else then that you're sort of, you know, again, that you're interested in right now or that you've been, you know, looking a lot, a good book you've read lately? What's up? Oh, I would have to say that I have enjoyed uh, Joel Friel's uh, Fast After 50, I think it is. Yes. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that was just a nice uh, compendium of uh, putting some of the things that we have uh, chatted about you know, with the mature athlete today. And he just, um, he does address the high intensity training, uh, you know, specific to the sport. He does also embrace the, um, you know, resistance training and the heavy load training in the, in that regard. Um, you know, maybe looking at some slight adjustments to your periodization of training, again, lending itself to a few more recovery or rest days. Um, and then, you know, he always embraces the fact, uh, along with Andy Coggin and some of the others, that, you know, you have to test yourself frequently to understand your progress, uh, where you've been, where you're headed, and make sure that you're on your training plans on track. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great book. I, I've read it now a couple times, and I, I usually will throw people, you know, who are maybe hesitant, because, again, that was sort of my leading question earlier on was about, uh, older athletes trending towards the endurance, right? And I definitely run into that where you'll, you'll, you know, meet with someone and they'll be, oh, I'm too old to be doing efforts that hard. And, you know, this is, these are otherwise healthy people who are, you know, all checked out medically. So sometimes just reading, you know, it's not just me, this young guy talking to you, you know, and saying, you need to go do some intervals. Like, in fact, it's, it's good for you. Like, you know, and it's, you want to go race at some point. So we should probably do intervals. Um, well, and I would have to say that perhaps, and maybe I'm getting into other people's head, but perhaps one of the biggest concerns is um, increased risk for injury. You know, oh my gosh, I, I may go do that interval, 30 second, you know, speed interval set, and I, you know, could pull a muscle or something. Well, hopefully, um, you've developed, you know, hopefully you've checked in with your doctor, gotten that clearance, uh, you know, Joe Frail makes that, that comment and that's always, uh, the way to go, especially for a mature athlete or anyone who's just getting started. Um, however, I, again, you know, you probably, when, when you increase that risk, perhaps a little bit for injury, 
Hopefully you have set up a training plan that is progressive and will thwart that. But with those little um, increases in the risk of the activity also can come some major gains. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's risk and reward kind of thing all over again. Well, and I think we always want to, you know, sometimes we're irrational in how we make our choices too, right? Because there's certainly, you know, you're aging. So, I mean, adding more reps. So if I had to choose between riding my bike for five hours and getting, you know, do the math on 90 RPM times five hours, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, versus riding for an hour and having fewer reps on that hip and, you know, those knees that are creaky and that back that's maybe not quite as strong, you know, to me that, you know, there's a, there's a risk to, to a lot of things and it doesn't necessarily have to be that we're going hard and our heart rates up. It could be that sustained, you know, lower heart rate, which gets sure. into that, you know, the heart, you know, heart attacks and everything else. Right. So, right, right. You, you know, I, I think, and that gets back again to your moderation and variety that you talked about earlier, right? Like we, you don't, Definitely. We don't, we're not saying, and Joe Friel's not saying, you know, it, it, it's not do intervals every day. We're not doing CrossFit every day, but it's, you know, in, in that otherwise well-planned out, you know, once or twice a week is, is lots, right? Definitely. I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a great, we'll link to that for sure. Um, And that's a book, like I say, that I use quite often. And, you know, even for myself, I would say some of that, you know, there's some good topics that I think get overlooked. He talks about using some cross training. You know, you can go and run and do some VO2 intervals um, and get some good benefit. And I've definitely found that for myself. You know, I've actually been able to really work quite hard you know, running uphill and that's, you know, keeping the soreness and it's fairly specific movement, you know, similar mm-hmm. in some ways to cycling, but, you know, definitely I found good benefit this year and a bit of breakthrough, even doing some of my VO2 and even threshold running, um, just to try and challenge that heart a little bit and get a little bit of a less, you know, familiar movement where I'm not quite as efficient. Um, Indeed. Yes. Do you see anything like that in, in your athletes, you know, again, where they're maybe really experienced or, you know, even just from the sake of doing something different where you're using some cross training to, to get some gains or, you know, more Def, uh, yes. Now I will say for the, uh, group of folks that I have right now, I, I would say the biggest, uh, insight and, and education that I have with, uh, the population, and, and again, we're getting a little specific with time trialing, but it could apply pretty much to anything, is that um, being able to push above your time, your your uh, goal, let's say, your goal time um, and power and pushing yourself above that so that you can get in that uncomfortable zone and realize what that feels like in training so that eventually you do end up, you know, hopefully pushing your threshold um, a little bit higher, um, which would be one of the ultimate goals, plus pushing it longer, obviously. But um, the thing is, is that a lot of folks are just are timid. They don't, they, uh, I, oh my goodness, if I, if I were to go over, you know, threshold and or uh, do some 30 second maximum intervals, I, I just don't know if I'll recover. And it's, it's exciting when they're like, wow, I did a whole series of those and I'm, I'm actually just fine. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Good. It, it, the <laughs> intent, the high intensity really will work for you. And I can show you the, you know, the stats and, and the charts to, to actually show you that that does make a difference. So that's cool. Yeah. And honestly, I, I think I, the, it, it sort of relates, I want to ask you about testing a bit here too, but we'll sort of segue that in that, you know, a lot of times people are nervous with testing in the same way you're talking yeah. about nervous about intervals. But to me, like I, it's very hard for me to go out at this point in my fitness and career, you know, I'm getting towards the end of it (laughs) to go out and feel that same overwhelming, like world caving in a vision going blurry, like, you know, because I race cross country mountain bike. So like, it's become basically a three to 20 minute effort to save your life and then hold on afterwards for as long (laughs) as you can. (laughs) Right. And and so for me running uphill, and I said this to Molly the other day, like if I try and bike up a hill and really crush myself, like I'll basically fall over. Like there's a skill, right. Whereas with running slash walking up a steep hill, you could just start walking for a second and then you're like, no, you have to run. And then you mm-hmm. run and mm-hmm. you're just basically like the worst case is you're on hands and knees crawling up a hill. Right. So to me, right. it makes right. so much sense. And like the more I can get into that, like cross-eyed thing, the better the races go. 
Right, for sure, for sure. And, and uh, yeah, we always have this discussion back in the office because I'm, I'm one of about five or, or six coaches in, in an office setting, which is absolutely wonderful for having a, uh, just a, a fountain of uh, knowledge. And, and I like to tell my athletes that while they've hired me, they've also hired a, a cadre of coaches. So if for some reason there's something I'm not quite sure about or, you know, that I need a little more clarification on that I can swing my chair around and we, we can have a discussion. So we go through this every once in a while and we share a lot, you know, with certain scenarios with some of our athletes. And the, the biggest one is just that, Peter. People really have a hard time with the word test Mm -hmm. or they have a hard time with the word evaluation. So I've really tried hard to come up with some creative ways. I've even sometimes put the the test in under like another name. Okay, today you're going to do, you know, a 20 minute climbing repeat, you know, or something like that, just so that some people are so, they have such anxiety when you put the word test out there. And so you have to come up with creative ways or, or you just go into a, um, you, you grab their information and their uh, evaluation through a, an actual race setting. However, they're not always racing every six to eight weeks or however often you want to test and actually see progression. So every once in a while you have to say, look, you know, you, you're going to have to suck it up. You're going to have to get in your, in the back of your mind and in your mind's eye set up whatever, you know, positive talk you need to say, okay, this is, this is an all out race for me. I've got to do this because I want to see the numbers and I want to see my progression. So yeah, test is a, is, is a four letter word. (laughs) Yeah. And I've, I've done the same. We do like, you know, CP or like 20 minute workout, you know, or or something like this. And it's like, I try and draw the thing, you know, it's, you know, I do a three and a 20 for a lot Mm -hmm. of my tests. Um, So, you know, to me, that's if, if we're doing three minute intervals, you know, that workout, you should prepare pretty similar to how you're going to prepare for that test, which should be yeah. pretty similar to how you prepare for that race, right? Like right. we're mountain bike right. racing. It's a three minute effort followed by, you know, a threshold effort for a long time. Right. Um, but it, it's hard to get, you know, people with their mind wrapped around that, you know, and, and to embrace that, you know, yeah, you just have to go out and suffer today. And you're practicing, as we were just talking about, that towing the line, that, you know, getting into that uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've had a well, bit of luck focusing on the, the perceived exertion, right? Like we're just go out and work really hard today and whatever the right. numbers are, that's good. Like you can't really change it as long as you work hard. That is Definitely true. Yes. Um, And, uh, you know, it's I I won't say that everybody's like that. I have some people that I can tell them to, you know, gird up with their shield and their sword and they're going to go lay down a test for me. And it's no problem. They can nail it. They're ready to do it. And then you just have, you know, some other folks who are a little timid, haven't really reached inside themselves, perhaps to that level of um, competition or don't really understand how to, um, you know, artificially develop that within themselves. And that's part of the training process, you know, is learning how to how to compete strongly. And I think I think that's mental. it, right, because it's it, it's a mental test in some ways. Sure. Right? So, I, I mean, oh, that's yeah. where, yeah, it, it's one of those things where it's almost a test to see if an athlete's going to get over nervous, you know, or over aroused, if you will, um, on race day, right? Because if they're having problems when it's just you and them, how is it going to be when there's a hundred, a thousand people watching them, right? Right, exactly. Preparation. And And it's so easy right now when you look at like the Olympics going on down in Rio, and all of the the it's so wonderful to see, you know, even the young competitors and to see their routine and to see that you know they have put in countless amounts of hours of physical practice but as well as mental practice and when they get in the pool or they get in their competitive competition whatever it is that they're doing it's just another day at the office essentially that's it yeah yeah you have to get to that point for sure Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Um, so I think last question I have, and we certainly can do more. Um, I'm just wondering if there's, as we go through these couple different ideas, is there anything, you know, I'm sure you have athletes or you can think of athletes who, you know, they're 40, they're 50, they're 60, but somehow are, you know, 
still amazing athletes. You know, they'll, you know, finish in the pack or even go for the sprint in a local crit or, you know, they're up on the podium in a TT or, mm-hmm. or racing elite, you know, into their forties and, you know, late forties even, you know, is there anything that you can draw from those athletes as far as common themes? Yes. And I, and I wrote these down um, and they're really in, in no particular order per se, but I would just have to say the um, desire to, to do well, to excel, to perhaps um, come outside their, their comfort zone. Um, you know, Joel Friel alludes to the fact that perhaps our, our bodies, especially with VO2 max and that type of thing, may start to fade. Um, in later years, but I would um, I would say that our mature athletes um, m- may actually have a little more wisdom and mental fortitude to perhaps overcome some of those uh, physical challenges, if you will, and actually uh, you know perform uh, even better. Um, I would also say one thing that I see with my a lot of my athletes, uh, mature athletes, is a lot of them uh, want to train all the time. And so I really have to remind them that rest and recovery is extremely important. And I remind them, too, that I would actually rather have you slightly undertrained going into an event than even 1% overtrained. And so I think that the mature athlete, after we have the discussion and talk a little bit, um, you know, seem to do do okay and and accept that. Um, I think a lot of times for the mature athlete, there's just that they are all still very goal driven. They have uh, when they finish, they have a sense of accomplishment. And honestly, win, lose or draw, Peter, they all have just enjoyed the the activity the training leading up to it and just i'm going to sound cliche as heck but the journey you know um the the destination is is great if i get on the podium that's just icing on the cake however the the journey has been just as as beneficial yeah i think that the journey is definitely in the couple i can think of athletes i coach or know through racing and stuff it's definitely they, they really, they're competitive, you know, like you say, they have goals that they're pushing themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and, but the, the social side of it, right? Like a lot of them have families that now yes. are competing with them and, mm-hmm. you know, they're as excited to get to the race to talk to people as they are, you know, to Indeed. get out there. And some yes. of them are really intense. Like they take it more serious than I ever did. And <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's, but you know, they're Definitely. still, they get, they get off their bike and most of them are, you know, also a big part of the community and, you know, they get involved with the kids groups and they get involved, you know, helping out at clinics or whatever too. Right. Right. Well, and that's that, um, uh, that whole, you hit the nail on the head with that whole social experience. I can't tell you how many times at the national senior games, and I've probably been to about four or five of them either as a, as a competitor or as, uh, being there in support of some of my athletes. And it's so much fun to watch these guys and gals. They, they're there for the competition, but they're also so excited to see their buddies from other parts of the, of the country that they haven't seen, you know, since the last competition two years ago. And they'll be chatting them up and having a great time, and, they, and they'll probably be in their age group. And then the next thing you know, they're all toeing the line, game face on, I mean, they're, you know, tooth and nail into the competition. And then when it's all done, they're like, well, now, wasn't that just fantastic? Oh, you know, and they just go on and on about the competition, but they're like best buds again. And I think that whole, that whole um, social experience is extremely important as we, as we age. So I think Mm -hmm. it's great. Yeah. Yes. And very it's it's always I try and get the younger athletes to you know embrace that as soon as we can right especially because that's you know especially the ones going through that dropout age of you know going through university and stuff where right you right. know if you're got if you're gonna stick through and keep you know 
working really hard and going through all this pain and discomfort for sport, then you gotta, mm-hmm. you know, it's gotta be that other side of it. So definitely. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's a lot of cool things. You we went places I didn't even think we'd end up going, but lots of cool stuff for the aging athlete today. Um, is there anything else, Tracy, that you wanted to add? Maybe how we can, how people can get in touch with you on the social medias or otherwise? Um, well, Peter, first off, yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to chat with you today and uh, with Molly as well. It's a pleasure to, to meet and, and talk to both of you. And I would just say if you if anyone's interested in following up or has any other questions, you could reach me at uh, T Drews, that's D-R-E-W-S, at trainright.com. And uh, I'd be happy to perhaps answer any questions anyone might have. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you, Tracy. We'll uh, keep in touch and let you know. Hopefully we'll find our way back to Asheville over the the next year and we'll try and touch base if we do. Well, well, that'd be great, Peter. And you guys come, we'll go mountain biking. That would be awesome. I only got a small small taste while we were there. I did it on my mountain bike, so I did check out a little, but the locals tour I'm sure would would be much more extensive. Do you remember where where you rode, Peter, just out of curiosity? Uh, It was just up. It was... We're, I was coming into Asheville, and it was just off of the the Parkway, um, and it was uh, okay. there. You sort of climbed up, and then there was uh, like some more polished machine trail on the way down. Okay, it might have been uh, like uh, all I could think of would be Bent Creek or something like that. But okay, I was yeah, gonna say yeah. if you say the name, I'll know it. It was Bent Creek. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Super. Yeah. Super. Yeah, that's a wonderful place. I ride there a lot, and then there's a couple of other just uh, pristine areas to ride as well. We have a little bit of everything. Very technical to very um, swoopy, flowy fun. So you can yeah. pick your, pick your poison. Yes, you're very lucky where you live. Uh, indeed. All righty. All right. Well, <laughs> nice to meet you and your dogs today, and we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you, Peter and Molly. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Right. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. All right. So that was Tracy, everybody. Lots of really cool information from her. Um, definitely got me stoked on a bunch of, bunch of different stuff. Super smart lady. Um, but before we go, we want to jump back into the donation drive with the Wide Angle Podium Network. Uh, Definitely, definitely check out their website over at wideanglepodium.com slash donate. And this month is just super important for the future of the network and the future of the shows. And, you know, as we said before, we love doing this. It's awesome. It's super cool to be part of a network that's just really supportive of everything that we're doing. And Adam Meyerson could scream your name. That's the important takeaway. I feel like Adam's going to get really upset with you for this. What? He's not going to scream people's name if they pay $50? Well, I mean, I guess now, they ha- now he has to. <laughs> I want Adam Meyerson screaming people's names. I, I think Peter might actually do this 50 per month donation just, just Every for week. This. Every week I want it. That would be really good. So that's wideanglepodium.com slash donate Adam Meyerson screaming your name. <laughs> Or somebody else screaming your name. Let's let's you not can, throw my You can choose, but we know who you're gonna choose. Yeah. All right. That's, that's all right. Bad. Take care, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye.